we have life outside of work as well. And so why isn't there more value placed on how we navigate ourselves as human beings, as people, how we treat other people, et cetera, and understand that there's so much value that we bring to the table outside of purely work. This is Taking the Lead, a podcast for B2B tech professionals, leaders, and executives who want to learn from female icons in the tech industry. In each episode, host Christina Brady interviews women who are driving revenue for some of the most respected tech companies in the world. Are you ready to get inspired? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I am Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly. We are an all-in membership that partners directly with B2B tech companies to help them scale by doing training, hiring, advisory, community, and more. If you want to learn more about us, visit us at salesassembly.com. Our episode is also brought to you by Contract Book, Walnut, and Motion. If you've never heard of ContractBook, they are an automation tool that makes managing contracts easy, efficient, and automated. They enable you to utilize the valuable data inside of your contracts to create powerful workflows and take the hassle out of contracts. You can visit them at contractbook.com to learn more. If you have never heard of Walnut, they are the world's first sales experience platform. They give B2B sales teams the ability to create interactive and customized sales demos without any coding whatsoever. You can share links to personalized demos with your prospects to improve their buying experience, and you can even track how those leads interact with your demos and gain key insights. If you want to learn more about all things demo and how your teams are performing, visit walnut.io today. And of course, we could not produce this very podcast, this very show, without our partnership and now ownership with the awesome team at Motion. Taking the Lead is officially a Motion-owned show. They are a podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They launch podcasts just like this one. They create the audio, video, written content out of every single episode. If you want to learn more or even start your own show, you can find them at motionagency.io. And that brings me to my incredible guest today. Jana, how are you? I'm doing well, Christina. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just, I'm thrilled to talk to you. First thing I want to do is just dive into your incredible experience. If you're listening to this and you're sitting in front of a computer, go to LinkedIn right now and look up Jana Scorsone, G-I-A-N-N-A-S-C-O-R-S-O-N-E. And look at this woman's experience. You are currently the Thank GM you. and head. I mean, like, thank you. Deserve it all. <laughs> you are currently the GM and head of North America at Aircall, but this is certainly not the start of your journey in tech. Tell us a little bit about how you got where you were. Oh, thank you. I welcome the chance to to speak about my journey a little bit because like many others, I'm sure it, you know, takes all the twists and turns and really, you know, having fallen into where, where I find myself today, obviously a lot of hard work, but that's like all of us. So how I got started? Well, I went to a business school, undergrad, Bentley, great school up in, you know, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and about Three weeks before I was graduating, I was a marketing major. I was absolutely convinced that I wanted to go into advertising. I had my professor had said, you know, Jonna, I, I have connections in Chicago. Like, if you want to move there, no problem. You should be in creative. And I was like, no, 
oh, thanks. I want to move back to New York City. That's where I'm from. Don't get me a job. No, no, no. It's all good. Thanks. <laughs> Don't right? do that. I mean, what Don't was I that? thinking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so forgive me. I had said three weeks, but it was three months before graduation. And I, I let's just say, really enjoyed my collegiate experience, not for the education, but for all of the extracurricular that it provided. And I I'm decided sure. to really focus in on that. Uh, for my next, you know, for, for the last few months. And so I figured, okay, how do I do that? How do I just have a great time the last few months of school? And I was like, no, I, I need to have a job before graduation so that I can just relax and not worry about it. And so I went on monster.com. I think it was like one of the first years of inception. You couldn't even put your resume. I think it was just, you know, searching the job boards. And I saw an ad for a store manager at Express. And I had been working there, you know, for extra cash, you know, on an hourly wage off hours after school. So it's like, oh, this is perfect. I love working there. I could totally do this. Like, fantastic. I'll go, I'll interview, I'll get that job. And then when I move to New York, that's when I'll really, you know, start looking for those advertising jobs. And so I did just that. I interviewed to become store manager got the job. Um, and I was like, sweet. You know, it was right during the dot-com burst. And so, you know, the salary that I was offered was a lot higher than some of my counterparts either, you know, had graduated with a computer major or, or finance and accounting. So I was feeling great. And so that was my first foray into sales. I, you know, landed on the sales floor and it was a flagship store. And so we were, you know, dealing with millions of revenue on a monthly basis. And it was absolutely incredible. And um, this is really where I was able to fundamentally build my skills as a coach because all of your employees are not commissioned. They are making minimum wage and you have to get them to somehow care, Ugh. somehow give great customer experience. And it was really about inspiring and giving a common goal and really cultivating a team environment to not let each other down. And, you know, those principles are ones that I hold to this day that I've really brought to Aircall and, and transformed, you know, how we navigate a tech sales landscape. So I stayed there for a while, but was quickly, quickly recognized by a lot of competitors. And I had five job offers uh, on the table within the year. And I ended up going into cosmetic sales. And I was quite young, took over a territory. So I became district manager and then regional manager. I had number one territory in the U.S. It had newly entered the U.S. market. And um, I didn't know how to navigate relationships. I didn't know how to navigate a lot of the dysfunction. And that was really challenging and difficult and so we ended up shutting US, uh, the US, and I got laid off, even though, you know, despite having number one territory. And I found mm. myself really disheartened by the experience and disheartened by how much I felt that people, and predominantly women, because that, that was the industry, that the gender that was most predominant in that industry, treated each other. And, and I found that to be quite difficult. And so I knew, to, knew I needed to make a change. And I stupidly stayed in a very similar industry and changed roles. And that was one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made because I'm great at sales management and I, I should have stayed in that direction, but potentially you know, changed industries. And so took me a little while to get back uh, into the sales arena. I ended up you know, quitting another job, traveling the world for a year. And then once I came back, that's how I landed into tech sales. And I, I landed at Blue Wolf, which was a Salesforce consulting firm as well as IT staffing firm. And we had explosive growth on both sides. 
of the businesses and we ended up spinning off the staffing side and I stayed within tech and digital marketing staffing for quite some time, about six years thereafter, and then stayed in the tech arena. And so I find myself here at Aircall having joined about a year and a half ago at this point. And my role is, you know, head of North America, which means that I'm the throat to choke in terms of revenue growth for the North America region. But really, it's about, you know, caring for all of the different teams that spread throughout the customer journey, everything from lead gen to partnerships and integrations all the way through. Um, I like that you're laughing over that one. Customer support and the strategy for all of it, right? Our growth strategy. Oh, man, you made me cackle when you said I'm the throat to choke. That's <laughs> I don't think I've heard a reference like that, but it's so true. Your experience and your energy, I mean, especially even just your web presence is amazing. Like when I'm looking at how you categorize your experience I and mean, talking about every step along the way, how you've learned something, you know, like when, you know, in one of your roles there from 2004 to 2006, you put in hindsight, I gained the acute ability to juggle much and prioritize quickly. And it's just like, and then the one, the next one, when you put, I traveled, you have, I traveled on there and this giant paragraph about traveling at the very end that this journey hasn't ended. I just feel like I rarely see somebody telling a story about themselves on a platform like LinkedIn in such a beautiful way. And I just really admire how you do this. Oh, like, thank you. I think it's yeah. so important, right? Like what is LinkedIn? We're all there to learn something. We're all there to gain something. And if we're only using it as a harvesting tool to find prospects, then okay, maybe that's what you're using it for. But if we're using it for the original purpose, which was to network and, and to find like-minded people or find people with experience that we'd like to tap into, isn't it more interesting to share something about ourselves? And I actually, to be honest with you, Christina, I also used to use it as a sales training to show you know, you want to give people nuggets of information about you, right? If it's just your resume, the next time they see you, if you're interviewing somewhere, they haven't learned anything new about you either. Or if a, uh, you know, prospect or a customer wants to learn a little bit more about you, they're not going to if all they see is the same thing every time. So it's really a, a vehicle and a tool to be able to share more about yourself, to draw the connection, to create a little bit of a perception for people because we control how people perceive us. And so if we're not using it in that light, when you saw my profile, right, you made some decisions about me, right? You had some perceptions about me. I loved it. Me. Loved it. Thank yeah. you. I'm loving it. All, all, all great perceptions. The thing I said I, that you said that I found, I mean, there's a lot interesting that you said, but there were so many areas that I think you were able to glean insight that most folks do not. For starters, I was a floor associate at Express as one of my very first job, which yeah, that's, so like, that's so funny. I was one of those people that you, I mean, probably not the same store and that would be even crazier, but I was probably one of those people that you had to like motivate to get work done. Cause I think about like those floor changes, you know, where we were oh, yeah. there all night and all night, you know what I mean? Yeah. All night. Military hanging, get the, get the spaces yeah. between the hangers. You gotta like spaces. unscrew the, the <laughs> mannequin arms, you know, like you couldn't get yeah. them and you can't rip the clothes. And I mean, yeah. But I don't often hear people say that retail prepares you for a job in sales. And in fact, I think a lot of people say the opposite. When I was switching from going from non-tech into tech sales, the only experience I had making that jump is I, I worked in retail, a lot, retail and restaurants, right? Retails, bartending, restaurants, worked at MetLife for a little bit of a, as a financial planner. Mm -hmm. And then I tried to jump into tech sales. And for me, I was like, these are all so similar, but I remember fighting an uphill battle in my first tech job saying, 
it's translatable. And they were like, retail is not like one of our typical entry points. I think you're right that it is. Why is I it? am right. I am. You are right. I am right. Probably high traffic store, right? I, I think we have to draw parallels of what type of sales environment it is to what type of sales it is. And if you think about express high traffic, you have to touch a lot of customers all at the same time. So it's using your voice to project. It is pointing out maybe different pieces of clothing that are going to be most appealing to most people, solve the problem, et cetera. As you're helping one person, how can you share it so that others see it as well? make them feel special. So it's personalization at scale. It's just you happen to be on the floor, right? It's also similar to BDRs and SDRs, right? First point of entry. How are you welcoming people so that they stay in the store and want to continue on in? So it really mimics the entire customer journey in, in one sales experience. I just, especially right now, there's so many companies that are really struggling to hire even entry-level positions. And they usually don't look at candidates like this who have this experience and it's a categorical miss like oh it's such a miss yeah i was actually i was at a, a brunch quite a few months ago and my server was phenomenal she was great we hired her she's one of our bdrs yes. so yeah yes. that's how it should be right because you know it's again like you know you're meeting people you don't know and you're trying to build instant credibility instant connection and you have all of that experience right there you know, when I worked in cosmetics, I was on the floor at Macy's Herald Square. I was regional manager, but would get my hands dirty. And I was, you know, at one of the counters with them and approaching, you know, people to try on lipstick or a blush. And, and we were not a brand that was recognizable. And so we really had to draw people in. We were walking around trying to get people to come to the counter. What does that sound like? That's cold calling. And so Absolutely. when I went to first interview, that's Christina. I met those same challenges that you faced of like, no, this is not the same. And I was like, yes, it is. Are you telling me cold? You're, you're questioning if I could cold call, but I had to do this in person. Are you kidding me? Do walk it up to somebody. So much easier. <laughs> totally. That's such a power move, Jana. I've always wanted to like come in contact with somebody doing a job. Like you know, when you, I was walking down the mall the other day at Woodfield Mall and and I was walking with my son because he you know, goes and plays at all the areas and somebody at one of the booths just like walked up to me with my son and he was like, excuse me, do you have a minute? And I was like, no, I don't because my four-year-old at this point was out of sight. And I was like, I don't know where he went. I have to go find him because you staffed me and I didn't look at him for one <laughs> second. But in my mind, I was like, what a baller move to be like, no, but I admire what you're doing and I would like to give you a job, sir. Like, I just feel like the fact that you did that, I'm here for it. I absolutely yeah. love it. We should do um, more of that. And we also hired sure. someone from Starbucks. You know, it's great experience. Yeah, great experience. Okay. You're my hero right now because I, I preach this, but I, I, and actually a lot of people do. Do you notice that? That a lot of people in tech say we love to hire from non-traditional backgrounds, but mm -hmm. then when the rubber meets the road, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's breaking bias, right? Where we're, it's so important as, as we're all learning about diversity and inclusion, but this is where yeah. it shows up as well, right? What's a traditional on-ramp into technology and how could we change our preconceived notions in the interview cycle to see those parallels and not make people prove those parallels? We're really smart people. We can do that. It's just about opening the mind a little bit. Yes. And speaking of that, it's actually another thing that you said is an incredible lead into sort of the meat of the conversation today, which is this idea of how do you drive engagement and employee morale and retention 
by bringing this idea of empathy and understanding and vulnerability in the workplace? And then how do you take that culture that you breed and help people build a healthy relationship with work and not working? You said something where you, you, you mentioned while you were talking about being sort of taken aback or really noticing how the women treated each other and the workplaces mm. that you were in and just this idea of how we treat each other. In your observation right now, how do you feel about in a typical B2B tech environment, the way that people treat each other? What do you think is the norm? Well, I think the norm needs to be worked on. I do. But what I can share is what we have here and, and how proud I am of it and how special it is. I joined at a critical time. It was at the height of COVID. We were all on lockdown and all of a sudden I got this big job saying, hey, you, you need to, you know, grow North America by 70%, like go for it. And you can't meet your team because none of us are allowed to, right? And so it was like, oh man, you know, how am I going to build, you know, these words that I mentioned before, but trust and credibility with a team that can't feel my nuances, that they can't see me in person. And it has to be this kind of two-dimensional experience, but it really has to feel four-dimensional, right? It has to feel greater greater than how we all feel right now. And so I think by nature of just when I joined, I knew that it was ever critical. I joke around with the team here in saying, like, the world is wounded and it we are like all of us are really wounded. We just went through a highly traumatic experience and still experience life on top of that, which for many is traumatic. And there are very many experiences. And, you know, what we need when that happens is support. And you need to feel like people are there for you and that you're not fighting this battle alone. And so I think to answer your question, one of the biggest things we can do to drive engagement is just allowing our teams to understand that we're there. You know, we're here to work with them alongside them and they might need a push or a pull at times and, and they can depend on us for doing so. And, you know, through COVID, you know, personal and professional life just blended by nature of the right. physical workplace. And so this idea of, you know, the, the second thing that you mentioned of like, you know, what is our relationship with life? Well, COVID forces relationship of intertwining personal and professional, and that's here to stay. I don't think that that's ever going to change, right? And we, as we adapt our models to being hybrid or being in office for some roles versus remote for some roles, regardless of what that setup is, personal and professional will always be blended together because of the shared experience that we went through and because of just becoming accustomed to be able to bring a little bit more of it into the workplace a little bit. So I think it's ever important to do that. One of the things that I did when I came here was really mention some of the struggles that I've gone through. I actually just did an AMA for, for you know, um, Women's Month and, and my colleague, Jeff, who's the CMO, he's fantastic. He was the host and, and he was asking me, it's, you know, AMA is just a series that we do here, but I shared. I shared a lot of the struggles that I've experienced throughout my career, ways that I get around it, sharing advice based on the different questions that were asked. And, you know, of course, there's a certain level of responsibility in knowing who my audience is and, and what I really want them to understand and adapt. There's got to be some level of, let's say, professionalism, so to speak, but really yes. saying that it's okay to share and being open to say, I'm not the best at everything, or I need help sometimes, or I've failed sometimes. 
allows others to mirror that same sentiment. And so when we think about how to drive engagement, well, it's removing obstacles. To remove obstacles, we need managers to understand what those obstacles are. So by creating this environment where people feel comfortable sharing what they're experiencing, feel uncomfortable to say, hey, I'm not the best at this, I need some help, managers are now able to better step in to remove these obstacles a lot faster, which is going to drive higher impact, exponential growth, and people will learn more, feel supported, and therefore retention is going to increase as well. What's wonderful about what you're saying is you're, you're actually quantifying what it means when companies say, what can often feel empty, like we're here for you, or we understand, or we want you to, to be vulnerable. And you're actually quantifying what that vulnerability looks like. Because there is also a lot of lip service. Like I think the last couple of years, people showed who they are. Companies yeah. showed what they're really all about. And I hear a lot people saying, we're here, we're understanding. But you're quantifying how to actually do that. And if you were to list out a few more ways, if I'm a company that wants to show employees truly that we are here for them and they're allowed to be vulnerable, what are the good things that I can do to put my money where my mouth is? And what are some things that you would advise companies stay away from doing? Yeah, absolutely. So what to do is a lot easier for me on this front. So <laughs> one is engagement surveys are fantastic, right? So our HR team, our, our CPO, Sandrine, has just rolled out so many fantastic initiatives, the engagement survey being one of them. And we're on our kind of third cycle of it now. And what she's done with her team, which is truly incredible, is not just rolling out an engagement survey, but then it's sharing the results with the mm -hmm. entire organization. And then it's creating a plan and how we're going to go about improving some of the opportunities identified and putting the responsibility and onus on the business leaders, the directors, the managers, right? People with teams to also address their results with the teams as well. So action, feedback, getting more feedback, getting more context and action right, based on engagement results is really important because that's going to show that we actually care right, is going to show that you want to further build that culture where feedback is welcome, appreciated, and used to harness greater results. So that's, that is a strong one. I think another example that I have, and this is for vulnerability, but also this idea of bringing retrospective thinking into the workplace as a means to provide self-feedback. We do a tool called Win, Learn, Change. And um, I learned this back at, at it, during my Blue Wolf days um, with a consulting firm called Forte Consulting, Kim Morrow and Johanna Bear. We use them here at Aircall as well. They're phenomenal. And they taught us this framework, which is really quite simple. You know, it's identifying some wins that you had, which is, it has to be very action oriented. Can't just say like, oh, I had a great client call. Like, what specifically did you do? Right? It's behavioral and action pinpointing. Learns, you know, what are some things that you learned and then changes? What are you going to do as a result of those learns? And here in North America, we cross-sector all of the teams and we've got what we call, you know, these, these win-learn change groups and they meet weekly. And they each share win-learn changes based on their week. And so we open the door and open the space um, for cross-collaboration so that we create mutual respect among different teams that are traditionally siloed from each other. And it also creates more empathy and it allows people to say, hey, I, I'm giving myself an improvement plan. 
which is really cool. And so those are some of, you know, the examples that that we've driven here that are opening the door for some of that vulnerability that we spoke about to really create a culture where people are more honest. Snaps to all of that. That was that was a list. And yeah, it is I don't want to say it's easier to think of ways to show that executive empathy and show that vulnerability because if it were easy more people would do it. For somebody like you, mm-hmm. It's obviously easier because I can tell this is what you practice. It's the way that your mind works. It's the way your mind has always worked. Do you see mistakes being made in this area? You know, I think it's about the the authenticity, right? Like, is it sincere? Is it true? And I do think we have to realize, right? I'm not all lovey-dovey. Like, I love making money, <laughs> period. It's why I'm in, you know, Say it again. Tech yeah, and that's okay. I love making money. And it's okay, right? right? It's okay. And I want that company to make money. And that is right. But we also have to understand that, like, I think where companies make the mistake is is really thinking about, okay, we have to hit our revenue targets and people are here because they want to hit these revenue targets. That's not true. People are at an organization because they have dreams, because they have goals, because they want to grow. And so these are two countering priorities, right? So if companies are only focused on the revenue growth, that in turn treats people like a commodity, like a transaction, and therefore they're going to treat you like a transaction. If we instead understand that the relationship, what they want out of the relationship is to grow, is to learn, is to feel valued, right? And to drive impactful work, then they're going to stay and they're actually going to be a lot more motivated and drive a lot more, which in turn is going to help <laughs> the company's goal. And so I think it's important as to define, right, what these, what, what one wants in a relationship and focus in on the other. I mean, don't assume why your employees are getting out of bed to come and work for you every day. Don't assume that it's because of the culture or the leadership or the pay or the benefits or the product or the work-life balance. Like it could be all of those things. It could be none of those things, but it's a solid reminder that everyone's motivation could be a little bit different. And if you don't know what they are, you can't really lead them, right? Like you don't yeah. know where they're going. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's also just how you communicate, right? If all you're communicating is about revenue growth, again, that's not tapping into, you know, their why. It's not tapping into what they hope to gain out of the organization. How does that translate for them? How can you communicate in a way where you're understanding that people look for different things? Make sure that you talk about the decisions that an organization makes, not through that one lens, but through multiple lenses. Yeah. And don't make them guess how they're going to win via hearing you talk about how you're winning, right? Because yeah. I think a lot of companies yeah. do that. Like if if you have it's a salaried point, employee, yeah. <laughs> you have a salaried employee or maybe somebody that makes a, a, a smaller bonus based on merit or customer satisfaction and you're hitting always like, we need the revenue growth, we need the revenue growth. It's like, and even if the company is doing well, it's help your employees figure out how they're going to win, which is also showing that you care about them winning and don't make them guess like, okay, well, you seem like you're doing really great up there in the C-suite. Let me try yeah. to figure out yeah. you know, what that means for me. You raise such a good point, though, also of that kind of ivory tower of the C-suite, right? Like, I think another area where a lot of organizations can do some work is fold people in. They're on the front lines. <laughs> they know what's yeah. going on. 
Like fold yeah. them into the discussion, whether or not you want them to make the ultimate decision. Okay, maybe not. But how can you better solicit feedback and information? How could you use technology to better understand what they're hearing, experiencing, et cetera, to then inform decisions? And then how do you then translate those decisions, communicate around them in how each person had an impact into that decision? That's where people get inspired mm-hmm. when they feel part yes. of something, not when they feel yes. like something is happening to them. Good or bad, happening to me doesn't always feel good, right? Like I, I want to be in the drive. I don't want to be in the backseat of a crazy car ride. Like I want to feel like I have some sort of control, even if it's a lot of fun. And it's also to me like being cognizant of what people are bringing in the metaphorical room when they join the company. Something else that you talked about was this idea of building a good relationship with work and how the last couple of years have sort of forced this blurriness that I would actually say has made it a lot harder for most people. I would go so far as to say, especially women and and mothers and parents of the separation between when can I stop working and start being the other side of me versus now it's like a lot of people feel like they're expected to be on all the time. 24 seven, I got to answer my email. I got to be on a call. I got to text back right away. Mm, Yeah. Are you seeing similar things? Yeah. You know, not here to be honest with you, but I'm seeing it around. And I, you know, again, it's important to set those boundaries. Don't text or Slack after a certain hour and don't expect your employees to work on the weekends. And if so, create really clear boundaries around why you expect them to in certain cases, a client escalation, massive new deal that we want to close before end of quarter. Cool. I'll accept, uh, accept that workload any day. But, you know, leading by example on that front, you know, making sure that people take vacation. This is vastly important. We know studies show that when people take vacation, they're far more productive. They're able to communicate stronger and they're able to, you know, collaborate in in a more uh, kind of functional way. So tracking vacation, not so that to be a police about it, but to make sure people are taking it. It's another thing that I just started towards the end of last year. And you're right. You know, I think that a lot of women felt, you know, I'm not a mom, but I see a lot of moms. I saw what my sister, you know, was going through and it was intense. But I also saw there was, I forget the stat. I wish I could recall stats that is not in my wheelhouse, but I read it and it was interesting, but it was something like women found the pandemic to actually be a little bit easier on their workload while men found it a lot harder. Sorry, father. So mothers and fathers. And I I think that that's so interesting that it it changed this dichotomy a little bit in who is expected to do all of the caretaking, all of the extra work, all of the homework. And I think that by this stat, and again, I don't remember who said it or what the stat was, uh, but I did find it very interesting. I mean, and yeah, I'm seeing that and I've experienced it. And, And in some senses, that's been good is to kind of flip those norms on their head because there's this Thing, I think it's it's prevalent in, I think, all industries, but the majority of my experience has been in this industry. And there's this unspoken old school rule that you prove how dedicated you are to a company truly in the wink, wink sense after 5 p.m. and before 8 a.m., right? It's like yeah. the time you do it from 8 to 5 is like fine, but if you're the person that leaves at 5 or you don't want to answer the email on the weekend, or you're not texting back at 10 p.m., or everyone's in a group email chain and you're not participating, well, there's this unspoken rule that like, well, you know, you just must not be as dedicated. 
And I think that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and it's not meritocracy based, if that's right. then right. And many of these companies, you know, pride themselves on, on being meritocracy based. And, and that's not it, right? Because that, that would just be about results. You know, and we're talking a lot about time. I think the other component to, to creating boundaries and having that healthy balance is also emotion. I think it's really important yes. to recognize, and this is something that I've worked on over the years and, and need to continue to work on, is I've always driven my self-worth through work. My self-worth oh. is attached to my job, having a job, what I'm producing, what I'm doing, and the validation that I receive from it. And it's very specific to the one function that I'm in or or the job that I happen to be at. It has to be that one and I can't fail. And it's a very unhealthy relationship. And it's only been the last few years where I really started to flip that narrative and say, like, it is okay. Look at how much experience. I mean, thank you, Christina, for sharing, you know, your reaction to my LinkedIn profile and the variety of, you know, roles and how I built myself up and got to where I am. Why can't I do that for myself? Why can't we all do that for ourselves? I don't think that I'm the only one to to share this or to feel this way. And that's such an important component to our relationship with work is that we shouldn't feel like, you know, these golden handcuffs are there and we shouldn't feel like all of our worth is attached to just this one definition of success. But that's hard and it's hard to get through. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're punching me in the feels right now in a great way because I don't know that I had sort of thought about it put like that in a really easily digestible way before but it's true i mean we could dive we could do a whole other episode on just like role psychology mm. and how when i'm in this role with this title what is my worth versus when i'm not in this role with i'm the same person with the same experience but if you professionally give me a different role and a different title at a different company it's hard to not have that impact your worth in a positive or a negative way. And it's actually, it's a little scary when you think about it like that, Yeah, how much power it has. It really is. And it's, we've imposed this, right? As a society, we've imposed this. And yeah. I know I'm not the only one who had, you know, the existential crisis during, you know, the beginning of COVID. I'm having one right now. What is happiness, <laughs> right? You're like, what does happiness mean? And what's my relationship with work? And, and all of that, you know, all of that. I, but it's so true. We have one life we remember. One. And yeah. you, you phrased it so beautifully, Christina, in that we have life outside of work as well. And so why isn't there more value placed on how we navigate ourselves as human beings, as people, how we treat other people, et cetera, and understand that there's so much value that we bring to the table outside of purely work? Ugh. I mean, now you have me having a positive existential crisis because the way the way you phrased that a moment ago, I've been I like if you're watching, I just like looked down and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're making me think about these things, which is why we do this show. But we are going to pause it there before I have even more of an existential crisis in a good way. I'm going to think about this a lot tonight. It is time to get into our rapid reveal section. Jana, are you on board for this? This is my irrational fear, but I'm ready. Great. Great. Well, let's let's make you live it then in front of everybody. Um, all right. The rapid reveal is five questions. You have 60 seconds or less to answer. And as we know, these are meant to help the audience get to know you a little bit better and just have a little bit of fun as if we haven't been having enough fun. I feel like I've laughed a lot during this conversation. And I love that. I love laughing while I learn. So number one, when was the last time that you were surprised? I got flowers from a friend and I was surprised because oh. I wasn't expecting them. And it was lovely. Flowers in the mail. They still work. 
They still oh, work. They sure do. Yeah, sure do. Got them on Saturday. It was lovely. Number two, going to make you hash it again. Do you have any irrational fears? What's the irrational fear? Being put on the spot <laughs> and not the having spot. the answer. But the other one I would say is this is so, I throw salt over my my left shoulder. I Because if not, you'll get bad luck. So if you have leftover salt while you're cooking, you throw it over your shoulder. Italian American tradition, maybe, I'm not sure, but that's one of them. Don't Don't want bad things to happen to me. So salt goes over the shoulder every night. All I can think about when you say that is the Dumb and Dumber scene where he's like, throw some salt over your right shoulder and points to his left shoulder. And it's just, it's just, so that's where my mind went. All right. Number number three, what was your dream job when you were four-ish? Like youngest you can remember, what was the dream job? Yeah. Well, you, you read this, Christina. It's on my LinkedIn profile. I wanted to be a hot dog lady. So I wanted to own a cart. Oh, I love how much you're laughing. <laughs> Laugh at me, but I will live this dream. Just wait. It has not materialized, but I wanted to have a hot dog cart. I loved hot dogs and I thought it seemed like a really fruitful and profitable business. Do you see the, remember the Oscar Mayer like weenie trucks or like yes. weenie mobile? You should get, I think you can still get the, you should get one of those. I, I would love to. I, I would love yeah. to. I, but I, I want a cart. I want, I don't want to be so like separate from people. I want a cart. I want to be there serving that dog. Serve. <laughs> We're going to have vegan ones as well. You know, that you just, you know, a little something for fantastic. everyone. This is wonderful. Number four, what skill set do you think that everyone should possess? What's the universal skill we all need? Universal skill we all need. That's a really great question. I'd have to say if I had to pick one, it's communicate to understand. Ugh. So active listening and beautiful talk tracks so that you don't sound like a defensive, not nice person. Communicate to understand is probably one of the best answers that you could like picture all the problems in the world. And if everyone just did that, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't, you pause? Yeah. wouldn't it be great? And then number five, what's the last thing you learned? Okay. So I actually pulled up on my phone, my last search results and it's how to make a perfect soft-boiled egg. And it was not perfect. I definitely uh. didn't follow the directions. It was not very good. So uh. I need to relearn it. But that was the last thing that I searched for. And then I'd say the last thing at work, we're working on a, on a strategic planning right now, three-year strategic planning. And I was on, actually, I mentioned him earlier, CMO, Jeff, awesome guy. And we were just talking about you know how to either back into it or forward into it. And he shared a really great tip, which is think of the end narrative. Think of the, the storyline first. And I thought that that was a really great tip to making it more digestible. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, well, first. you've got a good Jeff, our CEO, Jeff. He's also a good guy. So shout out to the good Jeffs out there. Shout out we to the good them. Jeffs. We do need them. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I imagine there's going to be folks who want to get to know you, certainly who want to know more about your company and all the things that you all are achieving. So how can folks connect with you, learn more about you, learn about the company? Where do we find you? Oh, thanks, Christina. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So feel free to find me, as you mentioned, G-I-A-N-N-A-S-C-O-R-S-O-N-E. And then the company is Aircall. We're a soft phone system that integrates with all of your top integration and, you know, tools and business tools. And so you could find us at aircall.io. And we service, you know, any organization from three users all the way up to 500 users. And we'd love to have you. Ooh, perfect for that, like... Seed Series A company, if you're out there, 
It's the good size. I love it. Well, Jana, thank you for being here with us. And thank you to everybody for listening to our episode today. We will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Taking the Lead. If you're looking for more inspiring stories from women leaders in B2B tech, then visit us at motionagency.io slash taking the lead.